0: Welcome to the Exodus Cry podcast, where we have honest conversations around exploitation, trafficking, sexual culture, and justice.
1: Let's talk about Beyond Fantasy, Barely Legal, the Mm -hmm. first episode of this series that we're releasing on the porn industry. How to frame this conversation? (laughs) It's... um, It deals with the subject of children or the fantasy of sex with a child Mm -hmm. is kind of the idea of barely legal pornography. So just hard pause there for a moment. It's such a weighty subject from that standpoint of um, dealing with something that's just deeply, deeply grievous and um, tragic and heartbreaking and awful and disturbing and um, and yet so prominent mm-hmm. in the, the world of pornography. And so there's a massive demographic, massive um, population of people who are seeking out this type of porn. Barely legal pornography as a genre is a genre that casts 18, 19-year-olds um, into the role of dressing up and pretending like they're a prepubescent child. Predominantly, that's what barely legal pornography is. And so they have them playing the role of a babysitter or uh, a child with teddy bear, uh, pigtails, a lollipop. And, and then, you know, and then any school number- of
0: girls. School girls, school girls.
1: And then any number of scenarios unfold from there. So it could be- a stepdaughter it could be a schoolgirl it could be on and on. so as we began investigating the porn industry, this was one of the genres that really stood out to us as having a clear kind of there was a clear ethical concern with this genre of pornography and so that was something that we really wanted to um, uncover and and we wanted to give the porn industry an opportunity to answer for themselves with regards to the creation and promotion of this content, of this genre.
0: I mean, just even the name of the genre is so jarring. Some of our listeners may have never even heard the term barely legal before this podcast or before our film. But I think it it really speaks into the heart intent of like barely legal. We're going to be pushing the boundaries as far as we can. So a day over once a girl or boy is over the age of 18 by even a day yes we got them they're they're legal but trying to present 18 year olds as young as possible pushing the boundary as far back and there's some scenes in the film where you ask like well how how young are you trying to to make them look and it, it it's really the answer is as young as possible like there's no limit um And when I think of teddy bears, lollipops, pigtails, a playground, I'm thinking kids under the age of six. Like, this is very disturbing. Um, And a lot of people are like, well, if it's only a fantasy, what's the harm in it? If it's legal, and this film, I think, really gets to the heart of that question of, um, is it a harmless fantasy? If not, what are the harms? Um, And really delving deeper into the the dark aspects of um, of this entire genre that is normalizing and fetishizing and sexualizing underage girls.
1: This genre of pornography raises concerns on both sides of the issue. So the impact on the performers, the human rights side of this, uh, there's a, a concern about, you know, what... Impact does that have on somebody who is being asked to reenact a molestation scenario with what would be like their pseudo stepdad in the scene you know or playing the role of their stepdad in the scene And what some of the performers told us is that this this particular genre was deeply troubling to them because they had experienced uh, sexual abuse or molestation growing up. And so it was in a way having to relive that, but in this kind of eroticized cont- context where they're supposed to be enjoying it. And so there's the concern on that side, but there's the concern on the side of the consumer as well. And the concern there would be you are creating and promoting a fantasy of sex with, for all intents and purposes, what appears to be a child. There mm-hmm, are even mm-hmm. archival examples that we use in the film of girls saying, I'm 12 years old or an interaction with one mm-hmm. pornographer. I said, so 12, you know, when trying to like decipher the, t- the age that he's going for, I said like 12 and he's like, yeah, no problem. Let me grab a drink. And then, <laughs> like, just totally casual. So, there's the concern on that side of it. The impact on consumers. If you are promoting a fantasy of sex with a child, that is a criminal mm-hmm. fantasy. Mm-hmm. And and then, what's the real world impact of of that? And so, one of my questions to Nina Harley was, you know. There are so many people out there who have experienced sexual abuse. It's not a fun game, it's not a fetish. It actually destroys so many people's lives. So, and her answer was basically well, this is a capitalistic adventure. If there's people that want it, we're gonna create it. And um, and so there is the question of what comes first, the chicken or the egg in this, you know? Mm-hmm. But I just think that there's an inherent danger. And putting this kind of content out there, the porn industry wants to stand behind this, you know, veneer of um, dignity by saying, "Well, it's legal." That's that's kind of their 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 ethical line. Is it if it's legal, then they kind of like stand behind that, mm-hmm. and and won't really take any accountability for. Introducing content into the world that may very well be influencing people into these deviant appetites.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think of when pedophiles or child abusers are caught. There's almost always um, content found on their computers of um, child pornography, um, you know, underage uh, image-based sexual abuse, and there's a clear correlation between the kind of pornography that they're consuming, the kind of fantasy that they are um, rewiring their brain to be um, addicted to and aroused to, and then the acting out of that fantasy. And in our one of our previous films, Raised on Porn, you interviewed a man who was arrested and went to jail, went to prison for several years um, for, um, it was either distributing Bre- images of child breaking pornography. Breaking some
1: kind of obscenity laws, I think. But yeah, there was.
0: Yeah. But he, he said, I'm not a pedophile. I didn't start with watching these images with um, underage children. It was um, adult pornography and the nature of how the porn consumer's mind works is uh, different. The novelty effect of pornography. So looking for something. And if, if someone is exposed to porn first, when they're a kid, seven, eight, nine years old, 10 years on. The kind of pornography that they are seeking and searching for is more dangerous, edgy. It it goes in dark and deviant directions. And so um, I just think that the barely legal genre is a bridge for um, people who eventually end up finding real pornography of real underage children. But what it's doing in the meantime is rewiring their brains to be sexually attracted and aroused by the sexual image of a child Um, and it's not just a child it's a child being abused by an adult in these scenarios it's always the stepfather the stepmother the baby the 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 father or, or parent in the house with the babysitter or with a child like very very overt obvious um, examples of criminal activity. And we've heard from um, multiple people that in their grooming process, this type and genre of pornography was used to show them, look, this is normal. Here's examples of other adults. Um, you know, it's it's okay for like um, a, a, a stepdad to touch a little girl in this way. And they've told us, we had like over 300 people a couple of years ago. Um, if you remember sharing accounts with us of um, the impact of first consuming porn underage. And many of them said it was used as part of my own sexual abuse grooming process by an adult. So that is another troubling aspect of this whole genre to me.
1: Absolutely. And if you pull back from pornography and just look across the landscape of our world in general, there's... We live in a world where so many people are, either have been sexually abused or their lives have been affected by somebody who's been sexually abused. I think we all
0: yeah.
1: have somebody in our own sphere, either personally or somebody around us who has been affected by this. So the sexual abuse of children is at epidemic level proportions in our world. We still live in a world where child sexual abuse is a it's an epidemic it is it is uh, a massive issue that is affecting so many people's lives and so part of what disturbs me about this genre is the lack of sensitivity to what's going on in our world mm-hmm. and the searing of one's conscience to totally bypass the reality of what's going on in our world in order to recreate those, what are in the real world, devastating, traumatizing, um, life-destroying moments of abuse and recreate them in this eroticized context and then use them to lure in viewers and intoxicate them with that appetite that then fuels more sexual abuse so the part of the pornographer to remove themselves stand behind the veneer of saying oh well this is this is legal have no sensitivity towards the reality of what's what's actually going on in our world and then to participate in essentially you know it's essentially mocking this this, this, um, reality of, of sexual abuse that's happening in our world, essentially mocking it. It's, it's saying, yeah, well, this, this sexual abuse is happening in our world, but meh, like it's, it's nothing to do with us. Yeah. It's a mocking let's, let's take that and repackage it as, as something sexy and erotic.
0: Yeah. Or they say, well, it's better for someone to to just fantasize it in the in the privacy of their own home, then act it out, and it's like, well, what if that's leading to them acting out? Like the evidence suggests that it really is. And the U.S. is only one of around twenty countries in the whole world that even legalizes the the um, the sexual presentation and depiction of minors in pornography. And it was uh, passed by the Supreme Court in two thousand and two. And a lot of people um, don't even realize that. Many countries in the world, this is not legal, but here in the U.S. it still is.
1: I want to just read a tweet from Pornhub. These people really dug their own grave over at Pornhub.
0: Understatement. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I want to read this tweet because I think it gets at the the point of the mocking. mm. Here's one tweet from them. Pornhub advice. Don't film yourself having sex if you can't handle it getting leaked. Duh. That's one of their tweets. So there's somebody who has maybe recorded themselves in some kind of like sexual scenario in their own personal life. And then somehow that got leaked. Maybe they were hacked. Maybe a a malevolent uh, boyfriend or girlfriend released that without their permission. And their position is like, I mean, it's just mocking the idea of that happening.
0: Yeah.
1: And then here's another tweet. um, Somebody tweets out, we live in a generation where kids are going to be seeing their mommy getting double penetrated on Pornhub and Pornhub retweets it as their tweet of the day. And um, so it's just, you know, just that, that that disposition of not only participating in the creation of this content, promoting criminal fantasies, and not taking any accountability for it at all whatsoever, but openly mocking kind of the, the idea of it is really troublesome. And so, one thing that I have noticed since we've been campaigning. For different issues and and to be addressed concerning pornography is their their sensitivity towards criticism. So they're not sensitive towards anything that they're creating, producing, putting out into the world. When I say they, I'm I'm talking generally. There are people in the porn industry who have a conscience. And I know who believe themselves to be good people and believe themselves to be f- trying to follow certain ethical guidelines and, and so forth. So I'm talking generally. The porn industry is um, has is very sensitive towards any. They're not sensitive towards what they're creating, criminal fantasies they're putting out in the world. They are sensitive towards anyone attempting to hold them accountable or criticize them for that. Mm-hmm. And then there are these porn industry shills that participate in ad hominem attacks against anyone who would try to bring some measure of accountability to the porn industry, which is another, like, really disturbing trend. But my whole thing is this if you're not going to practice, you know, policing yourselves, if you're not going to, if you're not going to, have self-accountability and you're going to create content that is promoting criminal fantasies, you should expect backlash. You should expect accountability. It's weird with pornography how, because there's a sexuality component to it, it kind of wraps itself in this package of acceptability Mm -hmm. as well, racism is wrong, but if you put it in a sexualized content, well, then it's a fetish.
0: Yeah. You know?
1: Ooh. Yeah. this barely legal child. The child pornography stuff is wrong, but it's, it's acceptable when you put in the package of being barely legal and you blah, blah, blah. So it's this weird way where se- the sexual component of pornography somehow insulates it from being from accountability from anyone being able to say this is wrong and if you you know address violent pornography for example people will say that you're kink shaming they will attack you because you are a moralist or whatever you know i mean we've been called so many awful things uh because of this stance of trying to bring accountability to an industry that historically has had no accountability and shown no interest in self-governing themselves. I mean, I've said it before, putting a guy like Max Hardcore into their Hall of Fame speaks volumes. It's emblematic of an industry completely run amok.
0: Yeah, and it feels like such a gaslighting attempt to brand all of this as being sex positive. And so not only are you called a kink shamer if you even question or like criticize um some of these fantasies it's it's like well the sex positive perspective is that anything goes anything is allowed full exploration of your sexuality no boundaries um when it comes to a fantasy when it comes to porn um even things yeah racial fantasies incest fantasies sex with underage children bestiality animal fetish like so many really troubling things. And I remember, since we released the episode, we had someone who had just started doing webcamming. And she said, I've been getting all these guys asked to do this like, age play um, type of porn, but they're basically asking me to wear diapers and act like I'm a child. And she's like, I, I thought that was really weird. And then I saw your your film and realized that's where that fantasy comes from. But she was like so disgusted and horrified. Like, why do they want me to like, you know? And, and you used, you pulled clips from Max Hardcore's films where he gets the girls to turn to the camera and say, I'm being molested, daddy. What do you think of me now? Like really troubling things. Um, and I think it's high time that the porn industry... Um, someone used the term with me the other day, like they need a watchdog. They need um, someone to call, call them out and um, be brave enough to do it. Um, And it's, you know, if someone kink says I'm kink shaming that I'm kind of proud of that. I'm like, Oh, I'll, I'll I'll kink shame the things that Pornhub are promoting. Um, You know, violence against women, racism, incest, are these really things that people feel scared to speak out about and I just feel like the the film is is really you allow just by putting these people these guys in the in the hot seat, asking them the difficult questions. They're exposing themselves, yeah. um, and it's it, it's very satisfying to see because yeah. it's almost like they've never even been held accountable in any degree. They've never had anyone ask them or challenge the fact that they're making fantasies of underage children but you asked them that question.
1: The phrase that you cited is so, uh, it, it's just so, I don't even know the right word to dis- to describe what I'm feeling about that. The, and the phrase being how this one pornographer instructs the female performers at the end of the scene to look into the camera and say, Hi mommy, hi daddy, what do you think of your little princess now? So this is somebody who has been lured, seduced, recruited into performing in participating in some scene where in their they have been pushed, broken, violated. All of these things have occurred to them uh, in the context of this scene. And then, and then the, the manipulative, coercive uh, direction of the pornographer, for them to say that to the camera is, is just so troubling and so disturbing. And um, and I, I remember, you know, there's another line where Max says, he, he's kind of chuckling about it. And, and then he says, I'm sorry, if your daughter is a whore, and then he goes on and... and yeah,
0: but so uncomfortable to watch.
1: What's interesting about it is that he's, he's addressing dads in a very direct way. Mm. He's breaking that fourth wall and he's addressing dads. You know, for the girl, what do you think of your little princess now? And then in the context of the interview, I'm sorry, if your daughter is a whore, and then da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I think the... My hope through a documentary like this is that it would awaken the sleeping dragon of engaged, protective fathers out there whose own, you know, sexual integrity is compromised by their consumption of this material and of this content. And that they would be provoked to shut it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think just this particular genre just hits me deep. I have a daughter and uh, and it's just such a clear attempt to destroy the innocence of children um, for the sexual gratification of people masturbating at home. It's a horrible scenario. Robert Jensen said pornography is what the end of the world looks like a world without empathy.
0: Mm, Wow. Wow. Well, it, it, it's it's so troubling to us. Like that really emerged as one whole aspect that we wanted to focus a whole episode on uh, because of how disturbing it was. And um, that, that scene when, when Max is in the closet showing the little, um, the little clothes. And I know you've shared in the past that you went home and your own Daughter to young child had the exact same shoes that max was showing these little sparkly um shoes and it's it's very clear that they are trying to um pornify exactly like you said destroy innocent desecrate in- innocence capture that on on camera and present that as um a fantasy and it's it's heartbreaking it's devastating and alongside releasing this this film we really f- we know that people are going to watch it and feel like angry, feel, you know, devastated, like rage. And um, especially I think at the end when you find out that um, this is actually a legal genre. And so we've, we decided alongside it to do this campaign, hashtag end teen porn. And just felt like, you know, um, if we raised the age of entry to porn from 18 to 21, or if we called for that to be a law, then it would be a lot harder to dress women in their 20s up as under the girls under the age of 10. Um, but also so many girls who are recruited into porn, especially in the teen genre, barely legal genre, are barely legal, are just turning 18. And they are the most vulnerable to being recruited by pornographers. Um, Some people are signed on their 18th birthday, which suggests that they were groomed even underage to enter porn. And we just feel like so many of even the survivors that we've been working with since creating this film, they were recruited into porn under the age of 21. And they said, "If, if, if it hadn't been legal for me to enter until over the age of 21, then I would have... Begun making other decisions in my life, I wouldn't have been so vulnerable. Um, I wouldn't have experienced the abuse and coercion that I did as a vulnerable 18-year-old, fresh out of high school. Um, and so this just felt like a really like a, a no-brainer of a, a thing that we should call for, as well as really question the the validity of legalizing the the barely legal genre at all. Um and yeah, so End Teen Porn is is a hashtag, is a campaign. We have a petition um that thousands of you have already signed. But um if you want to find out more information and and, and join the fight and the campaign to raise the accountability in this area, um endteenporn.com or beyondfantasy.com where the f- their films are um are. So just wanted to give that that plug yeah. for the campaign because I just really think yeah. that gives so yeah. much more information and really showcases some of the activism that we're wanting to bring even as a result of the film?
1: Here's the thing is when we talk about a subject like this, when we talk about what barely legal pornography is, the creation and the promotion, the widespread distribution and mass marketing of the fantasy of the abuse of prepubescent children is objectively upsetting it's infuriating, it's tragic, it's wrong, it's disturbing, it's evil. Yeah. And I think about people like Max Hardcore who mock this, the idea of this. They, they mock that, that he has performers saying into camera um, to address their parents, hi, mommy, hi, daddy, what do you think of your little princess? Now, in the context of just, you know, to use his language, destroying them on camera sexually um is so is objectively wrong i think of people like larry flint who uh started the hustler barely legal mm-hmm. series that was one of the first ways that this genre became mainstreamed into pornography and i think about individuals like that who are really pioneering and this this genre of pornography and I get I get so angry. I get stirred with anger for them. And uh, but here's the thing. I remember my therapist, Harvey Schwartz, introduced me to the concept of a facilitating culture. Um, and this idea that, well, we're we might. Feel upset. People watching this might feel upset about this genre or at these people like Larry Flint or Max Hardcore, but the truth is this wouldn't exist if we weren't participating in it at some level as a society. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just this campaign and team porn is a call to action and an on-ramp. For society to decide we want something different, to actually mobilize together to use our voices and our action and our pocketbooks and you know the, the things that we consume online, to, to use our own personal autonomy to express our disgust and our distaste for this genre and our zero-tolerance for it. It's not going to I'm I'm stirred with anger. I people ask me this all the time now about Max Hardcore. Are you, you know, how did you sit there and not I'm angry. Like I'm angry at, at these men. But what is that going to do? As long as our society is continuing to consume this, there will be one Max Hardcore after another after another after another and it will never cease to exist which is a whole other, you know, thing to look at is we are becoming a society that does not prioritize the protection of children. We are becoming a society that has abandoned our sisters and our daughters to a predatory, abusive, sadistic industry to have their lives destroyed. And what does that say? I mean, it's, it's, you can't just say, well, this is going to lead to the downfall of our society, which it most certainly will. It's not only going to lead to the downfall of our society. Again, that is a society that removes protections for children, that does not protect children, that abandons our our sisters, our daughters, our children to a system of exploitation. It's not only an indication of the downfall of our society, It is an evidence of a society that has already fallen. Mm -hmm. So there is a question for us now. What are we going to do at this moment? What are we going to do as a people, as a society, as a generation? What are we going to do about this at this moment? Be angry at Max Hardcore? And then the one that comes after him, like, We have to turn that anger into action. Mm -hmm. People need to sign the petition. They need to share this content. They need to, you know, stop burying their head in the sand. They need to become awakened and activated.
0: Yeah.
1: I love what uh, the National Geographic photographer, Louis, I can't pronounce his last name, says. You're either an activist or an inactivist. It's just time. Like, we're 30 years into this experiment of internet pornography It's just time. And uh, I know, you know, you and I are preaching into the choir here, but I just hope that there are, that this gets out to enough people that we could start to see a movement begin to take shape that will shake the foundations of the porn industry and completely abolish the entire genre of teen pornography, raise the age of consent for entry into porn from 18 to 21 years old for crying out loud, eradicate this abusive, exploitative, criminal fantasy once and for all
0: and end teen porn. Preach. (laughs) I think that that refers back to the the quote from Nina Hartley that you mentioned earlier of them. them, She almost did that exact thing of, well, it's the demand of the people is the reason why this content exists because there's money to be made. And so I think that is a really powerful concept of, there needs to be a shared collective responsibility of if you are clicking on this content, if you are creating a demand for it, um, or even if you're not, have courage to speak out against it. There's so much complicity in our culture. Just the other day, someone was telling me about some of their friends that they thought would be completely on the same page when it comes to some of these issues about uh, pornography. And they were so shocked that a lot of their male friends were like, um, you know well, if they're adults, you know it shouldn't be you know we shouldn't be like putting so any moral or legal boundaries on any of this, and they were so shocked they were like, Wait, what yeah. and I just think that um if you're not pushing back against um some of these agendas, the agenda to op- oppress and exploit people um." because there's money to be made in the exploitation of people. And so we have to be active in fighting back against it and being bold in speaking out. Like I, um, (laughs) growing up in England, I feel like I I never really heard the term pornography really talked about. It was just something that was not even talked about at all. Um, And in, in recent years, I feel like this topic has been, come to the surface more than i've ever heard before i like to think that we and the trafficking hub movement has something to do with it of suddenly putting a spotlight of accountability onto the porn industry and making it permissible to critique it when it comes to light that like underage non-consensual criminal content is on there Um, but i just want people to leave feeling this podcast listen to this podcast leave watching our films and hearing that really powerful emboldening call to action of speak out against these things and don't be afraid of being called a prude or being called um, sex negative or that you're pushing your ethics or morals onto someone else like this is an urgent battle that our our generation are being impacted by and at the end of the day it's children being exposed to this stuff Girls being trafficked in Cambodia and having Western men fly across the world and showing them this porn and, and buying their bodies—like there are real-life consequences to this stuff. Um, and there are, there's lots of things on the planet that people are angry about right now. Um, but this should be one thing that we do feel a collective anger about, but a pure anger that leads to change, that leads to activism. Um, I never want to feel uh, th- this anger turn toxic or personal. It's like I'm angry at an agenda, an industry, and I want to call people into having that same outrage, outrage, but not for the sake of just being mad about something, but actually being part of changing it, like you said. Um,
1: yeah. yeah. There's, so the three points of concern, again, are the impact on the performers that are expected to make this content. They're expected to pl- play up the role of being a 10, 11, 12-year-old girl who's being molested by her dad. So there's the impact of that on the performer. Mm-hmm. There's the impact on the person at home who's watching this and on the, how it's influencing their own sexual appetites. And then there's the real-world impact when people act on those fantasies that they've been cultivating for years in secret and actually begin to start abusing children in the real world. So it's not this isolated thing. It it is so naive and delusional to imagine that, oh, we're just going to create this highly potent graphic content with a narrative about children being in this scenario and feed it to people from a young age to consume and consume and consume, and then it's just going to stay there and never bleed out into the real world. Mm -hmm. That is a naive and delusional fantasy in and of itself. So there's the impact of the real world on actual children that are then the victims of rabid porn consumers. And so... It's not that every person who consumes is going to do that, but enough do that it's, it's alarming. So I just feel like even this conversation is sounding an alarm and it's, it's both personal, but also just a deep empathetic concern for our world. Like I remember when I was interviewing Harvey Schwartz and I had my whole list of questions for him. It was a six hour interview. It was the longest interview we've ever done. And we launched into it and I was peppering him with questions and, uh, and he's just so well-spoken on so many things. And I remember maybe 20 minutes into the interview, he just kind of stopped and he just said, um, he just caught himself. I remember and he was, because I had him talking about these things and he just had this moment of pause where he was like, you know, I'm talking about these things, but I've lived this with these survivors of satanic ritual abuse, human trafficking, all these people that he's provided counseling and therapy to as a specialist over the years. Mm-hmm. And he, I remember he was like, it's very real to me. And it was a moment to, I, I mean, I felt <laughs> slightly rebuked because uh, I was just wanting to get the information out. And he had to pull us back to being present to the reality of what he was actually talking about are real people. And I've, you know, told this story often, but I'll tell it again because it's, it's relevant to the topic that we're currently discussing the time that we had gone to Cambodia, we had done outreach with these kids. As we're doing this outreach, kids, six years old, 10 years old. We're teaching them songs. They're, you know, we're. we're and this pimp pulls up and he's angry because he needs to get one of these kids out to take to a customer who had just come into town. I could not even wrap my mind around it. After we get back, I reach out to our host there, Don, and I said, we want to open up an awareness center to help people connect with the reality of modern day slavery. Do you have anything that you can send us uh, and he he's so he he gets back to me and he says you know we raided this brothel and uh, we had to recover the pajamas of a girl as evidence because they're still stained with the blood from her abuse on the crotch it was stained with blood he ends up sending those to me in the mail some weeks later and i get those in the mail i open it i don't know what it is i open this package there are these pajamas, small oriental style pajamas of a seven year old girl that have a blood stain on the crotch. And all my mind could think is the faces of those girls that we were doing this outreach to. And it was so real to me in that moment that these. We're not just talking about an issue. We're not just talking about statistics. We're talking about a reality that is affecting little children in our world every single day. And I know that for me, like, I just got to this point where I just had this thought of, like, I just don't want to share this planet with these sociopaths whose lives are hell-bent on destroying the lives of children. And it brought me to a really dark space, just in my own, like, life and journey and headspace. And I remember just the struggle of that season, just grappling with, what's the point? Like, If we as a society don't protect our children, like what's the point? And I remember, um, I walked into a prayer room in this, in that season. And this black lady comes up to me, this older black woman with gray hair. And she just puts her hand on my shoulder. She looks right at me. She said, you're George Bailey. From the movie It's a Wonderful Life. She goes, You've been thinking about taking your life. She goes, but God wants you to know you're a gift. And I just remember that lady's words were like a light piercing my darkness in that season. And I said, I said, Wow, lady, you're a I, I said, you're a prophet. And she goes, I know. I'm a prophet. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, I know I'm a prophet. And she goes, yeah, I'm a prophet of God. <laughs> and um, those were the exact words that I, I personally needed to hear in that moment. Just to help me through that wrestle. Because on one hand, there is that place of like, when you look out across the landscape of our world, And you see the systematic destruction of innocence, the systematic violation and exploitation sexually of children. You think, what what could possibly be worse than this? And yeah, like, what is the point? So I know in my own personal journey, just that perspective of, like, my life is a gift to this world. Like, I am going to fight to be a person that can help make a difference. Yeah. I think that that's the invitation for us right now at this moment. Like if people don't hear the alarm going off at this, I'm just like, what is it going to take? Like, And so many people that are like, well, I don't know if I can watch that. Just this self-righteous kind of attitude about, like there's a war going on in our planet yeah. against intending to destroy innocence and goodness and beauty and children like it's just time for us to to put away
0: yeah and it's uncomfortable and it's painful and it requires your world being disrupted but i mean you just even mentioning those polka dot pajamas i remember when they were um when we were moving in as an organization and i i we we had them taken out of the the museum that we'd had them in. Um, and we were t- mailing some of those items to another organization, but decided we've got to keep these pajamas. And they, that was the first time I'd ever held them. And I had to go into a separate room in our office because I've, I I wanted to show a degree of reverence to these pajamas. And I put them out on the table and I just sat and I sobbed. And I was like, this is what everything comes back to like this little girl I have no idea where she is right now in the world I have no idea if she's still even alive what happened to her that brothel was raided we don't know the rest of her story but I just sat in that chair looked at those pajamas and I was like it's for ones like you little girl that will never stop fighting like it's for ones like you this is the end result of everything we're fighting and we're not actually doing the extractions of seven-year-old children every day and sometimes our world can feel disconnected but there feels like a really, the, the calling of us is to pull back the veil, to go further upstream, to be like, well, how did the blood on those pajamas get there? Because we need to look back and go back and prevent that from happening to another little girl. And it's, it's it is very uncomfortable having your world disrupted. Um, you can't go on with business as, as usual. Um, but I think, there's some things that are too important. I'm people sometimes say to me, like are, are you permanently traumatized by some of the things you've seen? And I'm like, I hope so. I hope so. You are. Yeah. I'm like, you know, some things are worth being scarred for mentally the rest of my life. And the thing, the stories that I've heard, they're deeply precious to me. And I don't want to ever lose that, the anger and the remembering the reason of, of why we fight this this is real and it's really happening to real women and children every day. And teenagers are being recruited into this industry, having no idea what they're signing themselves up for and then spending the rest of their life completely um, struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, And that's, you know, not even talking about the children being brought into this, but even the adult women, um, it just feels to us like we want to set a new cultural standard of no teens in porn. Like, raise the age to 21. And when it comes to this genre of barely legal, of teen porn, like we had billboards in Hollywood, just the simple hashtag end teen porn, just as a challenge. Like the fact that teen porn is even existence as a genre, that should trouble us. Like we're calling for an ending of it. Like in October, we took to the streets of Hollywood and did a march and did a protest, like raise the age. These are all the reasons why, Um, teens shouldn't be in porn and why this is a genre should not exist and um, yeah I I just feel like this has to be something that humans with compassion are willing to face front head on
1: yeah there's something very lonely about this path and I remember when we first started our campaigning in 2020 there was so much backlash. And, you know, for years we've been fighting sex trafficking and there's relatively universal agreement around that subject. Right. And so it was a different experience when we began to campaign concerning these issues with pornography and faced so much backlash. And I remember wrestling with like, you know, just processing all of this backlash and then getting to this point and realizing, I hate our culture. Like, why do I care? You, the, the articles that you're writing aside from us, like, is just, just deplorable. Just the total promotion and, and of just debauchery and, uh, and perversion across our culture and, and calling good evil and evil good and the repackaging of the sex industry as something liberating and empowering, all all that. I go, I I hate our culture. And I just was like, I don't care what you think, but there's a loneliness to that. There's a loneliness to discovering that the invitation here, the call is to be set apart and to consciously reconcile that for yourself. No ma- because we all want to feel like we belong, like we fit in, like we're seen, like we're accepted. It's a lot easier to go along with the masses. It's a lot, I, like, I, I want to feel like I'm part of our culture. I want to feel accepted and loved in our co- I don't like people's, and like, but where our culture has gone is a place that i deeply despise and disgusts me and so the the choice to live a life that is set apart is a lonely decision that place can get very lonely and i remember earlier this year having this thought that was just in my head of frodo on this journey in the lord of the rings to you know possess this ring and to to throw it to eradicate it forever. And uh, and just the lonely path he endured and the pressures that came with that call. And at the time that I'm processing this, and I'm thinking about that as, a, as an analogy and as a picture of what I feel like I'm experiencing in my own life, I get a voiced uh, message from a, from a friend who says in this voice message, hey, I was thinking about you today. and." Uh, I got this picture of you as Frodo (laughs) on this journey, on this unique assignment and that you are set apart for this purpose. And, um, I mean, it was just like really confirming for me and affirming in this lonely place to keep going and like to persevere through the pressures and the loneliness to keep fighting. And, um, that's the invitation right now. The invitation isn't, how can I get more likes on social media? How can I be more popular and influential and accepted by this disgusting culture that we live in? The invitation is to be completely set apart, to be a voice crying in the wilderness, prophesying against the current status quo of our culture, to hopefully shake the foundations and restore our conscience and see uh a a complete reversal of what has happened with the downfall of our society. That's the call. The call is a call to be set apart.
0: And make peace with that and take pride in that, um, going against the flow and resisting in order to make the world a, a better place. And it starts with empathy and compassion and having your eyes open to the suffering of others, I believe, because then it puts everything in perspective. Once you really have your eyes open to um, the suffering of others, then the meaning of life has uh, takes on quite a new meaning and you go from being obsessed with with self-promotion to... Um,
1: Self-sacrifice, really. Yeah. I mean, to yeah. empathizing with the plight of others and dedicating your life to their cause and what i sense is that a lot of people feel disqualified and i just i think that it's really important for people to redeem their regrets in a positive way because the truth is every human being who has ever been born onto this planet struggles with their sexuality or has struggled with their sexuality at some level. And the lie that we want to believe is I'm so, you, you know, the, the lie of, of the person who's maybe trapped in a cycle of pornography consumption. So I'm, I'm uniquely, you know, darkened by this and disqualified or whatever. And I think that it's really important for people to redeem their regrets to take an inventory for their lives and say, I'm not where I'm going to be, where I want to be, but that's not the end of my story. Use those regrets to motivate their decisions starting today, starting tomorrow, to begin to contribute towards reversing this trend of our culture and restoring the protection of children, the restoration of innocence, uh, to rebuild the foundations of our society instead of, I have all these regrets, therefore I'm disqualified. No, I have all these regrets. I'm going to use those to motivate me to make better decisions starting today. And if I stumble again, I'll get back up. The path to recovery and healing is a circuitous path. It's not linear. We have, we have to unite our hearts together as a generation to persevere our way forward to reclaiming the values and the and the the principles of a healthy society.
0: Yeah. I will always remember this guy who'd been um addicted to porn for many years saying to me, I'm so glad that I get to be go from being part of the problem to part of the solution. And that was the resolve that he had in his mind. Like I was once part of the problem, but getting over that that hump of um I'm disqualified because of my past, like Whatever your past is or isn't, that doesn't qualify you or disqualify you. It's the here and now and what's in your heart of um, whether something is worth fighting for and your resolve to, to set yourself to go in that direction and be part of the solution. And it's a continual resolve. And, and I just, yeah.
1: There's something just kind of uniquely uh, fracturing about the area of sexual compromise and uh, it touches us in a deep place as humans. Our sexuality is this mysterious part of who we are as humans. And when that part of us becomes violated or compromised or uh, invaded in in some way, uh, there's a uniquely fracturing component to it. And the phrase that is in a lot of people's spirits is, can I ever be made whole? Mm. And I think that a lot of people struggle with self-hatred as a result of either things that have been done to them or choices that they've made around their sexuality. I think it's hard for a lot of people to believe that the answer to that question is yes, you can be made whole. and uh, But that's the invitation. That's the invitation. That's the truth. That's the promise. The invitation is, yes, come back to a place of sexual wholeness and begin to make life choices that can help uh, turn the tide on this. So the N porn campaign for us is kind of our external vehicle to walk out this focus and this emphasis on this subject of barely legal pornography, teen porn. Again, that is really the promotion of the criminal fantasy of sex with a child. We want to put an end to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a powerful note to end on, that note of hope and wholeness and the invitation to activism. And so, um, yeah, end porn or beyondfantasy.com. Um is where the petition is found and an open letter from 21 survivors, many of whom were in porn under the age of 21 and talk about the the impact that it had on on their lives and exactly they lay out in some really strong arguments why this needs to happen. Um, And I, I really do feel encouraged from the last three years seeing everything that's happened with Pornhub, the discourse in our culture beginning to shift. And it's like, while a lot of very horrific and dark things have come into light there's also I'm seeing more activists um, stand up against this than I ever have before as well and so it 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 can be a lonely path but there's also a lot of people out there who really do share this perspective and so we just want to thank you for being part of 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 this fight this movement And um, really encourage you to get more involved, even than you have been already. Um, And But yeah, powerful conversation, Benji. You can check out all our podcast episodes, articles, and films at exoduscry.com and join the daily conversation by following Exodus Cry on all major social platforms.